So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. Hopefully you've managed to thaw out, Ian just about has. This week we'll go over our game against Worcester, talk about the heroic effort just to get the game on, albeit delayed by 24 hours, look ahead to London Irish at the weekend, and a little round-up of the rest of the rugby going on in the region. There's more peas in the fixture schedule than a packet of frozen peas, I think, so it might, might be quite quick at the end of it with the score updates and things. But um, without further ado, I'm Philip Mundy, and joining me is... Ian Joseph. And as always, you can find us on social media. So on Facebook, if you look for Folk on Falcons, you'll see our picture. And on Twitter, it's just at Folk on Falcons with the same picture. Yes, so if we just launch into the... The thick of it, and then we'll talk about the getting the game on in a bit of time. Um, it really was two points gone begging, wasn't it? I th- before we get into the detail of the game itself, that was one where we'd eyed it up in advance. This is five points, we've got to get five points. And for a period of time, maybe a minute and a half, we had five points, and then opened up like Moses going through the Red Sea, and they're in for not an easy try, but they get five points that the kicker converted from the touchline in horrendous conditions, and that's it. Game, set, and match. Draw. 24-all. Yeah, it was absolutely was, was two points lost. Really disappointing stuff. I mean, this was a team which hadn't won in 17 away games, not even just one, 17 defeats in a row. So I don't think anyone was being too optimistic when we thought there should be five points in the bag here. Um, you know, we made the point about you, didn't know, you don't know which was teams going to turn up, but it was not a good Worcester team. They were very much there for the taking. It was just a case of, we've mentioned before, game management, I guess, if I'm going to sum it up. In the, at the end of the both, both halves, we seem to just every game where we just can't seem to control the game, especially in late periods of each half. Um, I mean, their, their try right on half time, where the ball was hurried out to Hodgson, who passes it to... To Brown, I don't know why he passes it. It all seemed very just hurried and again lack of control. Brown doesn't get clear contact on it. It's charged down, and from about their second attack or half, they they obviously get a try and bring it to say twelve ten at half time. And you know if they just sort of seen that period out, you would have thought, well, half time twelve three, yeah, it hasn't been great at all. Maybe conditions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know we're well on our way. We've got two tries in the bag. Got a whole half to get those other two and probably going to win this. But obviously, you can see that try changes the game completely. But it was it it was just, as I say, the lack of control. Even the second half, we still have territory, we still have possession. But again, we just don't really look like doing much with it. I think losing Wakoke Koke in the centres early on was a big blow. So it meant to reshuffle, which I don't think worked. I'm not sure about Penny on the wing. and I really wasn't sure about Radwan switching wings. I think that cost us in some of their multiple two-on-one breaks they had. And at the end, you know, obviously we thought we got there. Forwards did their job. But it's lack of, lack of concentration, lack of game management, a bit of a ramshackle backline with Stevenson going off as well. And, and they go in again for another two-on-one. And Finn Smith, their fly-half, had a stupendous game, not just off off the tee. I mean, if if Johnny Walton had missed one of those kicks in those conditions, you wouldn't have blamed him, but he was absolutely superb and just his general play. And actually, I thought their centres, Venter in particular, was really good. And that's where their threat came. We didn't deal with it. And it was just a disappointing night all round. And as you say, two points thrown away. If we look at the game overall, they had five journeys into our 22 and they scored in four of them. They've got three tries and a penalty. 
and the other one we managed to turn them over and get a penalty ourselves. But if you look at that compared to our Flores and Zerto, I lost count of how many times we went in there. And we only just got our fourth try with five minutes to go. And that ultimately is the difference between the... Well, it wasn't a difference. It was the scores were level on the night. But that, that was the... That summed up the evening and it summed up our season. If you look at the table, our points for is horrendous considering where we are in the league and our bonus points are horrendous just in general. We've only got two of them all season so far. And you were saying about game management and if you look at the pack, the only one there that could really claim not to be terribly experienced could arguably be Robinson, but I think you'd be pushing it a bit there. And then our halfbacks have got hundreds of professional appearances between them. And then we've got Mike Brown at fullback. We've now got... Radwan, who's an international on the wing, yes, he could arguably be called young, but he's an international player. And we've got um, centres who have played at reasonable levels for a while. It's not like we're a team of teenagers. And I, I just can't work out how such an experienced squad can just not do simple things. You mentioned that the, the Joe Hodgson passing the ball to Brown and not to be hoofed off the park at the end of the first half, but we had about 30 seconds left. And why doesn't Carl Ferns? Talk to his other flankers and uh, say, right, I'm going to pick and go. We'll set it up. We'll slow the game down. Then the, the front row or the second row can set up another one. And then there we are. There's half time. Let's get off and warm our fingers up again. Why they felt like they had to even kick it. And then um, Worcester would have still had the line out because there was only about 30 seconds left. And then they'd have probably ended up with the line out, who knows where, about halfway. And they'd have had a chance to score some points at the end of the half, even if it was just a penalty or something. It's just these simple things that we just consistently don't get right. And um, one of the things you told as a child is don't shovel you know what. And I think that, yes, the conditions are bad, but there were times when we were doing that on uh, Friday night, or sorry, Saturday, and you just think, what what are you doing here? Just stick up your jumper or dive the dive on the ball on the ground like you taught from junior level and just get get it on with it and form the next phase. It just seems like people aren't playing with their brains. There were times where it just seemed too rushed, just not really thinking, just not taking that extra step, I suppose. And as you say, sort of going into contact or, or the pass was wrong. It's some of the decision-making, um, especially at the end where um, Lukox passed to Radwan, where he was about an inch from the touchline when he's on the left wing, where there were much better options inside. Brown, for example, was running on inside. Um, that's just what sort of, in particular uh, sticks out of my mind. But there were a couple of other sort of decisions where I think there was some pretty sort of close passing in not great conditions as well, resulting in a couple of knock-ons. And you just sort of think, well, you know, there's a time and a place for this. And this is not it, and someone should be saying that. And it's interesting when you watch Radwan on his BT Sport Rugby Tonight, one of the programmes called Appearance, saying how, he, I mean, I'm sure he's not lying. I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't say otherwise, but um, the, the positive influence Mike Brown has in terms of, you know, controlling the players and sort of giving sort of sage advice and adding that experience. And, you know, I'm, I'm, again, I'm sure Radwan's not making it up, um, but, and maybe he does do that in training. Maybe he does say the odd thing or, people take people to one side or shout at people or whatever, or kind of get their levels up. But you have, you wonder in a match, you think, well, why don't we see that in a match? But so often we see just such poor game management from the point you made there, what is actually a very, very experienced squad. And even if you look at some of the younger players, like your Brad one, you know, they're now fully fledged international playing, you know, with all these other very experienced players. And a combination of that, surely within the squad, should result in some of the consistently poor game management we're seeing week in, week out. Interesting you mentioned Mike Brown there, actually, because 
Um, that that one that you just referred to, um, I've endured watching the full match back, and I listened to the, the tranny during uh, Strictly Come Dancing. The half was watching. I had the, the tranny out of my ears on Saturday evening, and um, it wasn't really mentioned in the radio commentary. But when you watch it back, Mike Brown has a right go at Lukak after, or not a right go. That's a bit of an exaggeration. He has a go at Lukak after that, saying, "What what were you doing there? There's the easy pass on him." They probably had a, at the point in time they probably had a, a three on maybe wasn't a three on two wasn't a three, three and a one and a half we'll call it but there's every chance with the Radwan outside him and Mike Brown with the ball going through a half gap then we would have potentially had another try there and um, yes he was saying it but it was after the event not before it I wonder whether on the park he at fullback he can necessarily exert the authority that he perhaps could in training when he's a bit more stuck into it. I don't know. But it wasn't just that on the night that was a problem. You, you mentioned their kicking was phenomenal. Our kicking wasn't. We got two conversions out of uh, four and missed a penalty. But um, the ones we got were right in front of the post. The two we missed were kind of ones where, in the circumstances, well, yeah, fair enough. But then the first penalty at goal was very much along the lines of, I've seen people at half-time on the pitch do better attempts at that when they used to do the kicking competitions. It was just completely scuffed it and I think at the end when we were maybe about 10 yards in and 25 yards out we had that penalty where we went for the corner um, it would have been a tricky one to have a go at and if Hodgson wasn't confident then perhaps give it to Hayden Wood and say Hayden Wood step up again well there was still time to get the ball back from a, from a 22 dropout but um, that would have basically won the game and instead we went to the corner and then try and forced it and we, if we just, just spent some time there we'd have ended up building the pressure and probably getting a penalty potentially in front of the posts or getting a scrum in a good position that we could have opted for and I just feel like we tried to force it in the last two minutes and doing um, Hollywood passes when the, everyone's fingers are frozen off I mean I think to the kick from there would, would have been very tough I know obviously we got the drop and got the ball back again so maybe that was a factor but it was the fact that because Hodgson's kicking wasn't great, it just wasn't an option. And that's the problem. It, you know, if, if it was another way around and Worcester had that opportunity, they would have, because of the you know, way Finn Smith was kicking, they could have had that as an option. They could have won it through that, but we just didn't have that option because Hodgson's kicking just wasn't there on the night. Um, but you're right in terms of where we did get the ball there. It, I just had no confidence they were going to get anything from it. You just knew that it was going to be, the pass wasn't going to be right or they'll knock it on or or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I think it would have been a pretty hard kick, but I, honestly, I actually think on the balance of play, they did the right thing in going for the line out, but the wrong thing in the kind of their execution of it and just forcing it really. Yeah, another example of that was just after Hodgson's um, first kick attempt which we just discussed. Would back down the other end of the pitch and he panics and he tries to do like a, a left-footed kick into touch and he's not really got much of a left foot in him. He's kind of falling over as he took it. And um, one of their players, I think, caught it, not charged it down. And then two seconds later, they were scoring their try. And um, with their other tries as well, our defence felt like a bit like it was asleep. There weren't, wasn't sustained pressure. It was more just a, oh, they've scored a try out of nowhere sort of try. And you think, well, it's a fundamental problem with our squad that we can't have an injury in the centres and then have an organised team structure. McCockey, cock, it has to be mentioned, was wearing tights. So I um, don't know if you would have had time to get cold otherwise, but it's kind of ironic that the player wearing tights is the first one to, to go off. But um, there you are. I think he got copped one in the face and uh, I think uh, he was smiles after the game with a black eye in the bar. But um, yeah, it, it, it didn't last long. I mean, I was wondering if they should have played right there. Um, I know obviously that system when they do the substitutions, they kind of bring them certain players on certain positions and phases or whatever less you know, less injury change than otherwise. But I'm not sure what Wright has to do to get more of the team, really. I think every time he's played, I've been fairly impressed with him. I don't think you would let anyone down on the night. 
Um, I just it just the balance seemed wrong. Um, with especially Radwan on the wrong wing, Penny on the wing. And I do genuinely believe that kind of led to a lot of their chances where we, we were missing tackles as well in defence. Um, and there was three or four of these two-on-ones. And I just think if Radwan was there, at the very least, he may have been able to track back and tackle them a bit earlier or whatever, or cause more problems with them with, with the two-on-one. But it, it just wasn't there. Something wasn't right. The balance wasn't right. And I think that's ultimately kind of, we paid the price for it at the end. So I think maybe the coaches kind of have to have a look at that and sort of just, well not do that again because quite frankly it just didn't work yeah um, if there are some positives to take from it I think um, once again the, the pack were dominant penalties left right and centre at scrums um, around the park never really in doubt Lions functioned um, it was just what went on behind them that was the problem I think uh, Radwan's once again scored a, a try that only he can it was helped by a forward pass probably a foot and a half forward but um, didn't get pulled back there's no video ref on the night which I think actually made the game flow a bit better um, wasn't constant referrals to it and someone sticking their oar in and spending five minutes looking at a tackle that was actually fine after all. And I think Radwan also, um, just before their third try, chased back and did a phenomenal bit of defence. Then they scored two seconds later anyway, so it was kind of all in vain. But um, I think there were a couple of kind of silver lines we can take from it. And at the end of the day, we got three points, which isn't disastrous, but it's just that was five that we needed to get and, and didn't. But I think overall, the, the biggest silver lining, it was certainly a cloud, was the weather. And the game actually going ahead, you get one of these Met Office weather warnings on a Friday morning and you think, well, it's just people trying to make a name for themselves and create a few Daily Mail headlines here. But um, yeah, the wind picked up, the snow picked up, snow went horizontal. And um, what do you think, the right decision to postpone it by a day? Well, yeah, I mean, when they made the announcement, uh, I was thinking, you know, I was talking to other feet, oh, come on, this is ridiculous, you know. Yeah, you know, all right, it's a bit cold out and there's a little bit of snow, but... You know, I've seen a hell of a lot worse. And then about two hours later, I mean, it was possibly one of the worst storms I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I was thinking, sitting there, you know, swearing a couple of layers or whatever, with the heating on, thinking, oh, actually, no, no, I think that is the right decision to play it the next day. Um, no, they couldn't have played in that. I mean, uh, for example, we've got a big cherry blossom tree in our garden, and it was just completely uprooted, and it's just lying there. Uh, horizontal now and the shed is now the leaning shed of, of Gosforth or whatever so I mean um, yeah it's absolutely the right decision uh, when they kicked off actually on the Saturday again the conditions weren't wonderful pretty blizzardy still but I think as the half well as the half and certainly by the second half it was just really cold as opposed to sort of you know stormy and, and sort of red weather warning weather um but, I mean, of course, it was bloody cold. But, uh, no, nah, it, it was the right decision. They, they couldn't have played in that, absolutely not. Well, you said they couldn't have played in that. It amused me because it was called a pitch inspection at 2.30. I don't know what they were looking at on the pitch at that time. Basically, it must have been someone sat in the hut looking at some weather charts or something. But um, it was called a pitch inspection at 2.30 in the afternoon. They, they called it off. And um, I can certainly remember a match at Wrighton I've played where um, I think I was probably pretty similar conditions to that, if not worse. But, obviously, you've not got um, quite the same public safety element to it. And um, I think you probably, in theory, could have played a game of rugby. I don't think there's a rule about it being too windy and too cold, but it would have been horrible for everyone involved. But um, I've got fond memories once of um, the hoardings of the North Stand detaching and blown around at half-time and whatnot. And there being kind of a, a confetti of broken advertising horns blown across the 
north stand under the pitch. I can't remember what it was. It must have been about 10 or 15 years ago, but that was quite exciting. But they um, seem to make their safety decisions probably for the right reasons these days. I don't think anyone seriously contested it either, which um, probably says quite a lot. Well, yeah, that was the thing, you know, the pitch inspection after when it's sort of perfectly nice outside. That was a bit bizarre, but (laughs) it was absolutely the right decision. Um, I mean, imagine sort of kicking the ball in a 100-mile-an-hour winds or whatever it is. Um, But I think it was just a case of, I mean, the Metros went off as well and also so they couldn't they couldn't have played or if they did play it wouldn't have just been it would have just been a farce quite frankly but I mean from, from my personal experience I think the worst one was I played away at concert um, on a very snowy blizzard day and that was by far the most kitchens I played in went out for a warm-up we're out for about two minutes and thought we're well, just better off warming up in the changing room just sitting there so uh yes yeah, so we went straight back in and all the spectators just watched from the clubhouse which is about 500 meters away over it is but uh yeah no I mean, it would have been ridiculous to play it was definitely the right decision to postpone it as bizarre as it seemed about half two when they did that inspection well i think that was a beautiful summer's day for concert i'm not sure <laughs> it's a concert sort of place where you, you see a car driving through center of town or something it's got two inches of snow on top in about may and you think where does that come from and you have a chat to them oh from up near concert you know, oh fair enough but um i think testament to mickey ward um wandering around in his shorts and t-shirt um last week i was in cambridge and i went to the polar museum and they're talking about you've got your scott and your ross exploring the northwest passage and i reckon uh, mickey ward if you would just given him a rucksack and um if you told him there was a, uh, a few rations on the far side he would have just found the Northwest Passage himself in his shorts and T-shirt and uh, saved everyone a lot of time and a lot of people get lost in the snow. But um, yeah, you had the, the players working behind the bar because all the shifts got, obviously got rearranged for the bar stuff. It was a, a real team effort. And I think it's kind of quite nice to see that that's what actually goes on in the club because it's only a couple of years since we had the players shoveling the snow off the pitch. And um, it really shows what everything's about. And I think that even though the result wasn't what we wanted, it just that, that's what rugby is. Even if it's a club level or whatever, um, everyone mucking and get getting stuck in and they're at sleeves rolled up is what you want. For those people that didn't manage to get to the game on the Saturday who um, had tickets, um, the club have been very reasonable, actually. On the back of your ticket, if you ever bother reading it, it says that the tickets aren't refundable, the games can be basically cancelled at the club's whim and you're not going to get a penny back. It's a proper Scrooge McDuck sort of thing when you read it. But um, in reality here, they've they've, uh, made the right thing and they've said that you can use your... Ticket for any game this season, apart from Boxing Day. Obviously, they're presuming Boxing Day is going to be a sellout. And um, I think it's the right turn. I also think that um, they haven't said it, but I think it would have been quite a nice touch if they'd said um, Worcester game next season that's valid for as well. Um, we know we're going to play Worcester. And there will be a, a, a few Worcester fans who missed out on their fix of Kingston Park this year. They might have still come from night out in the big market afterwards. But um, we made this big thing about the, the rugby and the races. And um, there'll be a few Worcester fans that have gone home without being able to see the match on Saturday. So I think it would have been a nice touch had they let the Worcester fans in next season for the same fixture. But um, all in all, I think the club relaxing the restrictions is only the right thing to do. I don't think anyone would seriously consider not doing so. So next week, we've got London Irish. Um, I think London Irish are possibly the most underrated team in the league. If you look at their squad, their performances and where they start, they could definitely be four or five positions higher than they are. Yeah, I think uh, kind of like last season where you look at the personnel they have and you think, as you say, they should be a lot higher than they are. But they, they seem to sort of have phases where they kind of go on and off the boil. Uh, I remember last season they went through a phase where they were pretty poor to start with and then they were really good just around, I think, basically beating us kind of kicked off their form. And then towards the end of the season, especially away, then they were absolutely diabolical. Um, and this season's kind of been the same where they're, they're a really slow starting. They've, 
they've they've kind of had these recently. They've kind of had these really good performances where they picked up these unforeseen wins or snatched sort of draws, which they see specialists at sort of from the depth, uh, or you know being like a massive amount of points behind and have these great comebacks. And so, I mean, well, going by our performance on Saturday and going by their performance, um, we're going to really going to have to need to step it up to get anything. Um, this Saturday, I mean, we, we could do. We've got the ability to do that. And I think we're a bit more consistent than an Irish. How good that consistency is, I don't know. But um, we'll see. It's not, we can definitely get something from the game. No reason why not. But London Irish at the moment do, unfortunately, look pretty decent. Yeah, I think the key to that match is um, keeping the ball with our forwards and not letting the game get too broken up because London Irish must be two or three weeks ago against Saracens. They were down to 14 men for the best part of an hour and they ended up turning around a 25-point deficit in the second half and coming back to level it. And um, that was very much a broken play and they just threw their cards on the table and started trying all sorts of things. And if we let that sort of game develop, we're going to get a right hide in. But I think if we manage to keep keep it tight and keep the ball and don't keep kicking it back to them, then we might be able to cause a bit of a problem for them. I mean, I think that's generally sort of our problem. I think we're really undone if the game does get too broken um, because obviously we don't have generally have the backs to compete with, with their backs um, you know maybe if we can get Radwan or Stevenson away or something but generally we are we are at our best when we do keep it tight when our forwards do take control and when we do really kind of I guess sort of suffocate opposition where our defence is really strong it, it's up quickly and don't really give them much opportunities and sort of force mistakes and then perhaps you get a Radwan you can take opportunity of, of a sort of chance that may appear but yeah, we're going to have to play it really tight. And I think penalties as well. I mean, Paddy Jackson's an excellent fly half. He's a really good kicker. We're going to have to really be, really be careful about that as well. Um, you know, if we if we put performance a bit louder against Exeter a couple of weeks ago, again, that was really tight, really up in their faces, causing all sorts of problems, really good discipline, not the best game management against, so and that needs to improve. But we've got the Arsenal there to get something from the game. There's no reason why we can't. I think we can be a bit of a bit optimistic, but... It's going to be a really tough ask, I think, to, to pick up a win there. Yes. Um, if we look at wider rugby news, something that's probably been going under everyone's radar a bit this year, given the fact there's no relegation, but the still promotion is the championship. And I don't know if you had a look at it, but at the minute, there are four teams within five points of each other at the top of the championship. And um, at the start of the year, it's billed as Elon going to run away with it, get promoted in the Premiership and they're going to win everything by miles, blah, blah, blah. But at the minute, it's it's right up there. You've got um, you've got Busy Reds, Cornish Pirate and Doncaster all within five points of Ealing. Doncaster's the one that probably surprised me a bit. I think that Jersey Reds and Cornish Pirates have always been able to mix it with the best in the Championship. But um, the right one. If you look at the points difference, it tells a completely different story, whereas I think Ealing have got greater points difference than all the other teams and positive numbers added together. But the fact of the matter is that they've lost a couple of games and the other teams have picked up bonus points, even though they haven't been scoring 70 or 80 points a match. Yeah, well, I mean, we mentioned sort of season, didn't we, that you know this was the opportunity for one of these teams potentially to get promoted. I know there'll be the issues about you know, is their ground going to be good enough? That sort of thing. But it's a ginormous carrot there. Um, and, you know, we all assumed and probably with good reason that Ealing would sort of run away with it. But as you say, if you look at the other results and you keep, keep sort of half an eye on it for this season, you do see some kind of funny scores going on. You see some, some teams sort of, as you say, being very close in terms of the, their amount of points, which is rare. Usually you have sort of one or two teams, usually the relegated teams, the Premiership and Ealing, 
sort of miles ahead of everyone else. But that just hasn't happened this season. So the fact that there is maybe that giant carrot promotion has really kind of helped the other teams thinking, well, it's now or never, really. You're right, Doncaster's a real surprise. But I mean, in the preseason game against us, they, they looked a reasonable outfit. But yeah, it's, it's nice to actually see that it's so open there. I guess it all comes down really to when those top three or four teams really play each other, isn't it? Um, you'd expect Ealing to, to, I guess, get the better of those, but that hasn't been the case this season. I think Cornish Pirates did beat Ealing. So, you know, it's kind of all goes to distribution between those three or four teams, but it'd be interesting. We'll still expect Ealing to, uh, to to win it, but it's definitely more entertaining and a lot closer than I think a lot of us maybe have anticipated. So I think that that uh, championship this year, there's no final like there has been in past years, and there's just the expectation that Ealing wasn't going to go up. It's not like... Like um, there's uh, the option that someone could have just nicked it at the last minute. Um, I think they just thought Ealing will win the league by miles. Let's not bother the, the final because then we kind of guarantee Ealing's promotion as much as we can do. But yeah, interesting to see how it develops. And also, um, you can watch all the highlights from the championship um, on the championship rugby website. We were going to do a bit of a, a chat about the Barbarians this week, but given all the COVID sickness within the within the camp uh, and the match being abandoned only an hour and a half before kickoff, which is an absolute disgrace in my eyes. Yeah, that, that match shouldn't go ahead. And uh, some more obviously uh, then can't cash in on it quite the way they were hoping for. But all in all, it's a complete farce and a waste of everyone's time. And uh, it'll be interesting whether it pans out that some of the Barbarians players have been out living up the high life in the last few days as opposed to in their isolation bubbles or whatever. But half an, hour, an hour and a half before kickoff is not acceptable in anyone's book. One other bit of international rugby news. You've got the introduction of being able to play for two nations. Yeah, so obviously this really benefits your Pacific nations, doesn't it? I mean, for, everyone knows for, for absolutely years, it's arguably probably the sort of, well, rugby's biggest shame in many ways about how New Zealand in particular, Australia sort of pilfer the absolute best of the Pacific Island players. Um, and in some ways, just kind of hold them. They, you know, they they start them in a couple of tests or whatever, and then they're, they're sort of locked to play for those countries. And in many ways, that's sort of their international careers gone to an extent. And of course, your Samoas, Tongas, and Fijis lose out because they, they can't pick them anymore. This rule changes that. I'm all for it. I can understand why there will be some criticisms because you don't want it to be like obviously club rugby where you transfer between essentially countries. But I think in some ways, you have to think that rugby is not like football um, and it's not like other sports in that sense and that there has to be some sort of leeway here and it has to be the right thing to do um, I mean the, I think World Rugby have the responsibility the game has a responsibility to right the wrongs that have been inflicted on on those three countries and this is certainly a, a large step to doing that not only can they pick have a much wider range of players coming through who they can entice to play more regular international rugby but they can now entice some of the older players who are now on the fringes or really don't have realistic opportunity now to play for some of the the bigger nations and generally it's just going to make the sport more competitive it's going to make world cups more competitive and it, it's going to be a good thing for the game um and I, i'm really pleased to see it yes and interestingly um a couple of other countries that might benefit from this uh namibia and zimbabwe you'd be surprised how many because of all the the political turmoil that's gone on in south africa over the years and the, the way that this works is if you have a parent or grandparent that's been born in another country or what was another country at that point in time, then you're eligible to play for that nation. And obviously with what, what went on in Rhodesia and Dutch Africa and all the rest of it, a lot of South Africans have parents or grandparents that were born in a country that was considered something else and then they all ended up being South Africans. Um, so it might be interesting whether 
people um, have a final final fling in their careers. I think Percy Montgomery was actually Namibian anyway. Um, anyway, that's a side point. Also, interestingly, you've got the, the cool-off periods, three years. So you can have a player that plays for countries in consecutive World Cups for different countries. So you could have your, if we if we took somebody who was a, a Pacific Islander, who was a, uh, also a New Zealand player, they could play for New Zealand in World Cup 2023 and then they could play for Tonga in World Cup 2027 I don't know what the rules are if they've got mixed heritage whether you can have someone end up playing for three countries over three different World Cups that would be quite an interesting one um, or whether you end up with someone who is a South African take your Van der Meere, for example um, who didn't play as a schoolboy goes to Scotland and then goes and plays for South Africa again at the end of his career it's probably not going to happen with a South African because they'll be a better South African winger but you might have someone that is a Fijian that ends up playing for France goes back to Fiji. It's certainly a strange one. I'm not necessarily think so it was a good thing or a bad thing. See how, see how it pans out because I do worry that you could end up with sort of silly situations where certain unions start basically buying players. You don't quite know what brown envelopes are going to get passed or under the table. But I think in principle, I understand the rationale for it. Also, what does it say about the players that want to play for Samoa who actually um, always wanted to play for Samoa and they suddenly get depositioned by somebody who's been drafted in from the New Zealand ranks? Um, certainly good for Samoan results, but not necessarily for Samoan rugby. Yeah, I mean, as I said before, I definitely understand the criticisms and they're very, very valid. I mean, the point you made there about, you know, Fijian going to France, getting a French citizenship for a couple of years, playing in a World Cup there and then going back to Fiji... It's a valid criticism. I'm not quite sure how you would prevent that with, with these rules. And, I, and that is obviously the flip side to it. Um, I, I still think on the whole it's better because I think there is more positive aspects to it for the smaller nations. You may well get, you know, a situation like we've just said, a Fijian playing for France or whatever. But I think that won't be the norm. I think that's going to be more of an exception and not obviously ruling out that it's ever going to happen and it may happen a couple of times or whatever but I just think generally it will help with small nations and make sort of the game more competitive which I think in the long run is going to help because if you have a better say Samoan team let's say in 20 years time because this rule Samoa get to the level of say something like I don't know maybe Scotland have been, been more traditionally been the past few years so a team which finishes you know fourth or fifth in a six nations that sort of level that is going to that is much more positive for the game than say you know the old Fijian playing bizarrely playing for France every few years or whatever um it's not perfect by any means and I do understand that criticism but and maybe the rules will be amended to try and stop that somehow I don't know but I still genuinely believe on the whole it is a positive thing yeah call me old-fashioned um and part of me certainly is but a big chunk of my brain says that if you offer me a million pounds I wouldn't play for Scotland but then it all boils down to money. And I think at the end of the day, I probably would suck it up. Might not sing the national anthem, but I think I'd uh, put the navy blue shirt on for a match for a million pounds. But if you look at all of this, a lot of it boils down to the fact that these Pacific Island players don't play for their speech marks home country or the one they feel most aligned to for the simple reason that Samoa are given pretty much literal peanuts when they play at a full house of Twickenham. And you've got your England players getting their cheque for £25,000. Thank you very much. Nice to nice to have a run around. These Samoans get their hotel in a crappy travel lodge and um, a few hundred quid spending money, and that's it. It's one of these things where if they restructure the finances of games, where if Samoa play against England, the, the money has to get split between the unions equally or something, then you could end up with a very different set of circumstances. But um, it might even encourage people that feel patriotically Samoan and things, thinking, oh, well, 
I'll go and earn some mega bucks and play in England or France for a few years. That'll be nice. And then, yeah, I'll, I'll get a few international appearances for England, play in a World Cup for them, cash in with a sponsorship deal. Oh, and I can always go back and play for, for Fiji or Tonga or whoever it is in a few years' time for twilight my career and then stand, stand there proudly for the national anthem. And it might almost encourage players to kind of have a, a, a gap year, but not a gap year, a gap half decade or a gap five, ten years and then go back and play as, uh, in their late 20s and 30s for the country when they're no longer good enough to play for England. No, I think that, that's pretty valid, especially short-term, isn't it? Um, I, I just hope or that it's long-term, because if you get some of these nations do perform better, then they will stick with them. For example, like Italy, for example. You know, Italian players still want to play for Italy. You don't see Italian players going off to France or England living there for a few years so they can get a better sponsor deal, so they can, you know, have a chance of winning a World Cup. They don't. They play for Italy. And I think if Sabo or Tonga Fiji sort of get to that level, I think players will genuinely think more, oh, well, I'll just play, for, my, my home country is pretty decent, I'll play for them. Um, and I think long-term, maybe you'll, you'll start to see that more. One interesting player, Gary Graham. He hasn't played for Scotland for three years, but he wasn't born in England. And neither, I don't know if he's got a Scot- an English granny or something and kind of do it that way around. But um, I haven't read the rules inside out, but from the headlines and the, the press coverage, um, it seems that it's either you, a parent or grandparent, has got to have been born in the country. So Gary Graham was eligible for England. I think he was in the England training squad a couple of times. Never actually appeared on... I think he might have even been on the bench once, but um, never appeared for England. He then played a couple of games of Scotland and fallen out of favour there. But I guess if he's got... Um, heritage that's not Scottish then he could end up playing for another international country well yeah potentially I mean yeah well, you have to sort of dig out the record book something like that um, yeah <laughs> it's an interesting one that unless of course Guy Graham does get his form back and he does play for England again that'd be an interesting turnaround probably unlikely um, well it does it does open a Pandora's box doesn't it because not just Guy Graham but there probably are other players sort of in a similar position where they may have a handful of nations they could play for and they, they do swap between them but as I say, I think that's going to be more sort of the exception than the norm, really. And I don't think that will have, well, I hope, and I don't think we'll have too much of an impact on the international game as a whole or competitions as, as a whole, I don't think. Just thinking about this a bit further, actually, if you if you think of a, a multicultural, diverse country like Britain or France, this could be a phenomenal thing for all of the, basically, countries you've never heard of in parts of the world where they've never seen a rugby ball before. Because if you think of the amount of reasonably good players that are of Caribbean descent or... Like, oh, just Adam Radwan, he's um, got Egyptian ancestry and he's not going to play for England forever. He'll play for them hopefully many a year, but you'll still hopefully be what, the best rugby player in Egypt in 10 years' time. And you're going to get all these bizarreties where... Is that even a word, a bizarrity? Or is that a bizarrity in itself? You're going to get all these bizarreties where you suddenly end up with an absolutely brilliant Jamaican rugby team because there's a whole load of people that have been raised in England or Britain who've got... Jamaican ancestry and then can qualify for a second nation. You look at um, over the years, you've had people like Marlon Yard who've had Caribbean ancestry and uh, I think Christian Wade as well. And it'd be very interesting whether, whether there's suddenly an explosion in minor countries playing rugby at slightly higher levels than they have in the past at the expense of perhaps you're always on the brink like your Portugal's and your Spain's. Well, you could have something like uh, World Cup 20. 20- 27 or something, Mario Toji captain in Nigeria or something. Yeah, I mean, it, it does kind of really sort of, yeah, that's a, I have to admit that's a slant that I didn't really think of, but you're right. Um, could open all sorts of possibilities, but I, I guess we'll see what happens. I mean, 
maybe, I wonder if they did think about that actually maybe that was a bit of an ulterior motive to it only people have picked up on but yeah it could be an interesting side note that see what happens in a few years with some of these players coming from either non-existent or very minor sort of rugby countries yeah I only thought of it when we're, when we're chatting about it now but um, it certainly could have a huge impact on getting the game out globally if um, you kind of have all these people who've got a, a granny from anywhere and suddenly that country then has a, a real foothold where they never had one before in their national setup who knows anyway right we'll do a, a quick roundup of the uh, score lines both locally and nationally um, so in the premiership on Friday night unusually there are quite a few fixtures and I bet a lot of people wish they hadn't played on Friday given the weather you had Bath losing 16 points to 23 against Exeter, a bit of a comeback there. And Bristol also losing against Northampton, 20 points to 30. The final one, the West Country team did win, uh, being Gloucester beating Wasps 35 points to 33 away. On Saturday was our rescheduled game, which was obviously the draw. And the Harlequins uh, team lost to London Irish in the, I guess it's now a derby again now they're not in Reading anymore uh, 19 points to 22 on Sunday there was just the one game and that was Saracens putting away a sale 25 points to 14 like I said at the start more peas than in a pod when you look at the postponements across the northeast rugby obviously our game was postponed then replayed or not replayed <coughs> postponed Howie man um, was postponed and then played on Saturday Tyndale managed to uh, have a game at the weekend they played uh against Wharfdale and won 24 points to 13, um, whereas Bladen's game at Starbridge was postponed. Annex against Otley was also postponed, whereas Billingham beat Lynn away 24 points to 13. Uh, in the Durham derby, nothing was holding concert back, although they did um, in terms of the weather, but unfortunately for them, Durham pipped them by a couple of points. Um, and then Morpeth's game against Moulton and Norton was postponed. Not a single game in Durham Northumberland won. In Durham Northumberland 2, the only action was Ashington losing 27 points to nil against Gisborough. Um, and just Ashington on the coast was probably quite exposed. They managed to play that one. Um, and then in Durham Northumberland 3, West End lost 10 points to 27 against Gosforth. And score of the week has to go to Yarmouth, but beat Richmondshire 61 points to nil. If we just go and have a quick look at the tables... Um, we mentioned briefly the championship table earlier, not going to go into huge detail, but premiership table, Leicester have still got their 100% record on 37 points. Following them are Saracens on 31, Harlequins on 28, Northampton on 25, Exeter on 24, Gloucester on 23, London Irish on 21. We've got 20. Wasps and Sale behind us both have 17. Bristol and Worcester both have 14. And Bath still without a win on four losing bonus points. Had we won that game at the weekend, we would have ended up with, uh, what's that, three points to the top four. So that's one of the ones where you think, hmm, we're, we're now chasing as opposed to in the thick of it. But um, it's not out of our reach, but we certainly need to knuckle down and put some results in if we want to get to where we want to be this season. Right, so hopefully um, the sun will be shining next time we speak to you um, and the weather will have perked up. But hopefully it's not a whole winter of this because it would be pretty grim if that was the case. And I think that people will just... Um, stay frozen in their seats for an entire fortnight as opposed to trudging, warm up and then get cold again. But anyway, um, there we go. So thank you for listening and cheerio. Bye, everyone.